But you know, we know Jesus did come to earth, and on Palm Sunday, He was treated as He should have been treated by most people. Riding into Jerusalem, He was greeted as a king, and unfortunately, we also know about a week later, um, He's rejected, and He's sent to the cross. But we know the good news of Easter is coming. We also know, the Bible says, that Jesus is going to come again. If I would say, Jesus is coming back, and it could be today. How does that make you think or feel? How do you react to that? Is there excitement there? You know, you're thinking, yes, yes, come Lord Jesus. How do you respond to that? Jesus is coming back. It could be today. Is there fear? Anxiety there? Say, well, I'm not quite ready for that yet. That, that's, that's good, but I'm not ready. Or maybe there's no emotion at all. You're just, yeah, great, fine. Well, whatever your reaction is to that, uh, I think in our day there's been a lot of talk about the end of the world and prophecies and judgment. And we do believe that God's judgment will come. But I'm wondering if in all of that discussion we might be missing the main point. And I say that because I've studied one of Jesus' parables, which is about ten bridesmaids. And actually, we're going to start a little bit before it in Matthew 24. We're going to read verse 26, and then we're going to read through chapter 25, verse 13. Before we look at that, I want you to know that that when I read this parable, a lot of questions come to mind. And, and we won't answer every question this morning. But my hope is that you will leave with a different perspective on Jesus' second coming. That's what I'm hoping for. So let's take a look, and we'll start in Matthew 24, uh, verse 36. It says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time, and he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. As I said, you know, you read that parable... At least I have a lot of questions about that. Um, But after reading that, I also remembered that the Bible often talks about the church being the bride and Jesus being the groom or the bridegroom. Revelation 22, 17, for example, the church is called the bride. And it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Extending an invitation to all the world to come to Jesus for salvation. But you see this all throughout the Bible. Ephesians chapter 5. Christ and the church there are compared again to the bride and the bridegroom. And Jesus' parable here, of course, again uses this analogy of Christ being the groom and Him coming for His bride with a warning to be ready. So while there may be many questions about Jesus' parable here, one thing I think is made very clear for us, and that is, our need to be ready for when Jesus comes back. And as Jesus describes his coming again, we see that he describes it very much like a first century Jewish wedding that's yet to happen. And so I think as his listeners heard that, it connected with their hearts, their minds. They got it instantly because they lived in the first century and they understood uh, Jewish weddings and all that went into them. But for you and I, of course, we don't live in the first century, and so the parable doesn't pack the same kind of punch for us. So I think it's important for us to understand this first century Jewish mind better this morning so that we can truly answer this question of, are you ready for the wedding? Or are you ready for Jesus to come? Because if the Bible describes Jesus as the groom and the church as the bride, and I believe it does, then we better get ready for the wedding. And so there's some things that need to be done or prepared before the wedding. And that's true in our day. Those of you who have been through that process or going through that process, a lot of preparations, but especially in Jesus' day, and more so, we're going to see here. So what needs to happen before the wedding? Well, first of all, a marriage covenant needs to be made and a bride price should be paid. So marriage covenant made and bride price paid. That's the first point. 
When a young man decided to marry a young woman back then in Israel, he would prepare a covenant, which is very similar to a contract, but it's deeper. There's more to it. It's more intense. And, and so he would present the covenant to the young woman and her father at the young woman's house, typically. And the covenant showed his willingness to provide for the young woman, and it described the terms under which he would propose marriage. Most important part of that agreement was the bride price. This was the price that the young man was willing to pay to marry the young woman. Um, A little bit different in our day, but back then the payment was to be made to the young woman's father in exchange for his permission to marry. And the bride price was generally quite high. Uh, The bride price compensated the young woman's family for the cost of raising a daughter, and it also indicated the love that the young man had for the young woman. And so the young woman was very valuable to the young man. And so in that day, the young man would go to the young woman's house with the covenant agreement, and he would present his offer to the young woman and her father. Now, if Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride, what what does that look like? Well, Jesus comes to the home of his bride, which is earth, right? And he presents his marriage agreement or covenant. The marriage agreement provided by Jesus is the covenant which provides for the forgiveness of sins for God's people. And so Jesus paid the bride price with his life. At the Last Supper, when breaking bread, Jesus spoke of the price he was paying. In Luke twenty-two twenty, for example, Jesus says, This is my body given for you. Hebrews 9.15 makes it clear that Jesus died as a price for the covenant. It says, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And so if you're paying attention, this marriage covenant you'll see described in different places of Scripture. Uh, Jeremiah 31, for example, it says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So, For the wedding to occur, it all starts with the groom presenting the marriage covenant and paying the bride price. And this is what Jesus has already done for us, for his people. Then in Jewish culture, um, if the bride price was agreeable to the young woman's father, the young man would pour a glass of wine for the young woman. And if the young woman drank the wine it would indicate her acceptance of the proposal. So what needs to happen before the wedding? Well, the marriage covenant is made, the bride price is paid, and then the bride-to-be indicates her acceptance of the cup. Really interesting. At this, at this point, you may have heard about this before, the young uh, man and the young woman would be betrothed. And betrothal was legally binding. It was just like a marriage 
The only difference was that the marriage was not yet consummated. And so uh, a typical betrothal period would be one to two years. And during this time, the bride and the bridegroom each would be preparing for the marriage, and they typically would not see each other. And so just as the bridegroom would pour a cup of wine for the bride to drink to seal the marriage contract or covenant, so Jesus poured wine for his disciples. His words describe the significance of the cup in representing the bride price for the marriage contract or covenant. And this might change our perspective of communion when we take it in a few weeks. But in Matthew 26, 27 through 29, it says, Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And then we know that the disciples took the cup and they drank it, drank it, accepting the contract or the covenant. What else needs to happen before the wedding? Well, usually there are gifts for the bride. And that's, that carries into our tradition as well. But, the, but these gifts would come from the bridegroom, and he would present uh, his bride-to-be with special gifts. And the purpose was to show the bridegroom's appreciation of the bride, but they're, they're also intended to help her remember him during this long betrothal period, which they typically wouldn't see each other. But she has those gifts to help her remember him. So if the church is the bride... Did Jesus leave us any gifts? Yeah, he did. Jesus gave us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well. 1 John 4.13 says, We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And Jesus describes this gift in John 14. He says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give. Not as the world gives, but don't let your hearts be troubled, don't be afraid. So, in preparation for the wedding, for His coming again, Jesus has given us as His people, as His church, as His bride, He's given us His Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. But the preparations are not all done by the groom. According to tradition, the bride would next partake of a mikvah, or a cleansing bath. And so the fourth point on your notes is cleansing or mikvah. And even to this day, in conservative Judaism... A bride cannot marry without a mikvah. It's, it's the same word used for baptism. Sounds like a good thing. So was there a mikvah for us as the church to receive? I believe there was. The mikvah or the baptism that Jesus provides for his bride was baptism in the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.4 says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
this is, this is awesome. Are you getting this idea that there are a lot of preparations to be made before the wedding? Because there are. There are. And it's interesting to me all the preparations that were made before the wedding. Um, here's something else that I found to be fascinating. Uh, during this long betrothal period, the groom would prepare a wedding chamber for the honeymoon. And the chamber was typically built in the bridegroom fa- bridegroom's father's house. And so the wedding chamber had to be this beautiful place where the groom would bring the bride. And it had to be built to the groom's father's specifications. And so the young man could go for his bride only when his father approved, only when his father said it was ready. And so if the bridegroom was asked when the wedding was to be, he might well say, it's not for me to know. Only my father knows. Does that sound familiar to you? Just as the bridegroom would have told his bride that he would go to prepare a place for her, so Jesus told his disciples in John 14, verses 2 and 3, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And so what is the groom doing before the wedding? He's preparing a place. Next point, preparing a place. In ancient Israel, the bridegroom could get his bride only after his father approved. Similarly, Jesus said in Mark thirteen thirty-two, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when the time will come. So in the first century, uh, the Jewish brides did not know when the groom was going to come. That seems bizarre to us. But the bride did not know when the groom was coming or when the wedding would be. The groom didn't even know, if you could imagine that. And so, why do we, as the bride of Christ, think that we should get to know? We see scholars and other people laying out graphs and charts and maps. And and that's not a bad thing. But Jesus never told us to do that. He just told us to be ready. So we know that the groom is to be preparing a place for the bride. But you may be wondering, what what is the bride up to during this time? What is she doing? Well, the bride is supposed to be consecrated or set apart or bought with a price. And so if she went out in public, she would typically wear a veil so that others would know that she is betrothed. And during this time, she's preparing herself for the marriage. And very likely, she had saved up all the money she could for this period of time in her life because she would purchase expensive cosmetics and she would learn to apply them to make herself beautiful for the bridegroom. She wouldn't know when her groom would come for her, so she always had to be ready. And since bridegrooms typically came for their brides in the middle of the night to steal them away... The bride would have to have her lamp and her belongings ready at all times. 
And her sisters or her bridesmaids would also be waiting. And they would also keep their lamps trimmed, anticipating the late night festivities. And so this is the setting for Jesus' parable of the ten bridesmaids. And it's beginning to make sense to us as we understand the context. uh, That a time before the wedding in which there was first a consecration of the bride. That's my sixth point there. Consecration of the bride. And, and this is where you and I are right, uh, right now in the story. This is where we're at in history. The bridegroom uh, is about to come. And so he's told us to be set apart, to be ready, to be waiting. As God's people, we're consecrated, we're set apart. We, we look for his return. And so we're to be spending this time preparing ourselves for Jesus' return. And when we go out in public, there's something about us, I think, that that people should notice, that we're set apart for Him, for His glory. Listen to what Jesus says once again in Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and so they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Prepare yourselves. Do you hear it? Consecrate yourselves. Be ready. The wise bridesmaids are not being cruel to the foolish ones here. Because they know that if they shared their oil, they wouldn't have enough. And so the bride has a responsibility to be ready. Because when he comes, there's no second chance. There's no last minute cramming or borrowing. Get ready. Jesus is coming for us. And for those who have not given up hope, for those who are ready, it's going to be an unbelievably joyful event. But we also read not for those who are unprepared. And so the last thing that, we need, that needs to happen before the wedding is the bridegroom coming for his bride. The bridegroom coming for his bride. When the bridegroom's father deemed the wedding chamber ready, the father would tell the bridegroom that all was ready and to go get his bride. And then the bridegroom would abduct his bride secretly, just like a thief in the night, and take her to the wedding chamber. And as the bridegroom approached the bride's home, he would shout and blow a ram's horn trumpet, which is called a shofar, so that she had some kind of warning. You know, no cell phones to call, 
but at least they had a horn so that they could know that he was coming. Just as the bridegroom would come for the bride in the middle of the night with a shout and the sound of a shofar, so the Lord will come for us as his people. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, it says, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So God's people, this is an encouragement to get ready for the wedding. It's going to happen. Let's prepare by living as His people, by living for His glory, taking His love and His message to the world, because Christ is preparing all things and He will come. So get ready.